Hello and welcome to a new episode of SIS Masters Podcast. I'm Arnaud Richard, founder of Sports Innovation Society, and I interview for you some of the best experts in the sports industry. Today I welcome Sébastien Odou, head of sports digital content at French premium television channel Canal+. We will speak about content generation and the challenge of always being innovative and ahead of its time. Sébastien, first, welcome. Thank you for taking your time <laughs> to share with us. We'll be together for about an hour to understand your thoughts about spot content and content distributions. Some topics I hear you're quite passionate about. <laughs> yeah, always passionate about everything content related, absolutely. <laughs> so first, let me introduce you quickly. After 15 years at Canal Plus, French broadcaster, for some who may know, uh, because our audience is very international, You've been a host, you've been an announcer, you've been editor-in-chief, quite some different positions. And you joined in 2015 the digital division as the head of the sports content department. In this role, you do handle all digital content output on social media and your proprietary platform, My Canal. So before speaking about what you do now and see for the future, let's go back in time with a very simple question. How did you fall in love with sport and content? Well, you know, as far as I can remember, I was always a, a sports fan. You know, I remember watching, you know, the 86 World Cup, you know, those uh, penalty shootout between France and Brazil. Uh, I remember, you know, the, the last F1 Grand Prix in the 86 season when Alain Prost actually won the race but didn't win the championship. Uh, Niki Loda won the championship. And I remember, you know, telling my father, well, why, you know, well, I mean, why Loda is winning the championship? And Alain Prost won, won the race. You know, I didn't understand the, the, the concept of championship. You know, I was eight years old. Um, so it, I was always a huge sports fan. Um, and... Since I wasn't good enough to be a pro athlete, I guess the second best thing was to be a sports journalist, you know, and um, I was very, very lucky to to have a, a, a really speedy path uh, as a career because I started working with Eurosport was, when I was in my second year in college uh, as a journalist master. So um started working with Eurosport and then quickly started working for a very small channel that was actually was created like 500 meters from the Stade de France in 98. I was working for a channel that was really 500 meters away from the Stade de France called AB Sports. I joined them as an intern, you know, stayed there as a freelance um, and then finished my journalism school and came back uh, and really started my career, my career there uh, working as a sports reporter, announcer, you know, uh, show host and uh, and so on i think we we did start our career at the same time i started as an intern in 1998 as well uh absolutely an, yeah as an intern as well see and becoming an intern is always a good path to uh for to have a nice future in this industry uh all right so you've started with that now uh tell us more about because to understand what you do now we need to understand a bit more about canal plus uh you know for again, for the audience that is quite international, tell us more about Canal Plus and sport. What does sport mean for Canal Plus? What does it represent in its business? Yeah, well, I mean, sports was a huge part of the Canal Plus business since the beginning. Canal Plus was created in '84. Uh, that was the the first really pay TV channel in France. 
Um, and obviously, the big thing for us when we started broadcasting what was actually at that time the French soccer or football championship that wasn't League One. Uh, I guess it was D1 at the time. Crazy enough to think that in '84 there was no League One or D1 games broadcasted live, not one. There were only highlights in Sunday morning on TF1. So Canal Plus has had actually huge space to grow. So we grow with League One. They did a uh, they did a lot of other sports, in, including exotic sports for for friends at the time. Which really what got me into it into it because I was when I discovered the NBA and the NFL. I was discovering a, a whole new world, and so Canal Plus grew quickly. Um, we became huge. We invested in many other uh, territories uh, throughout the world. At the turn of 2000, we had a huge crisis. We, we sold quite a few um, companies internationally. We restructured the, the company in France. We had a huge period of growth again. We acquired our main competitor in France, which called uh, TPS. We, a bit like if. Well, a bit like when um, B Sky B and, and Sky uh, merge as well. Um, so uh, we, we became huge, and we had pretty much after the the merger, which was uh, right around the time when I became uh, when when I went to work f- uh, full time contract with Canal Plus. We had all the sports properties you could think of. Eurosports had a few properties, obviously, and but most of the premium sports were uh, belonging to Canal. Um, so for the first few years, that was rather easy. We had all the sports, we were alone on the market, but then, you know, the competition came in. Obviously, we had the first huge competitor entering the market in, in 2012 with Bean Sports. But to me, the huge shift was the... OTT shift, the shift to newer forms of subscription, the disruption that happened because of that, you know, before it was easy, you know, you were living in France, you were either subscribing, if you if you live in the big city, you had the choice between Canal Plus and a cable subscription. If you were living anywhere else in France, Canal Plus was pretty much the only option. So we went from the from a world where we pretty much owned the market to a world where suddenly we had to compete with being sports, like I said, but Amazon potentially the zone. We had obviously Canal Plus is a, has two, you know, two feet. One is sports, and the other thing is uh, original content and and movie and movies. And obviously, with movies and original content, we had suddenly we had to compete with Amazon Prime, with Netflix, with Apple Plus, with Disney Plus, and so it's a, it's a it's a totally new ball game. And obviously, that's what. You know, really drove me to digital uh, in 2015, where I really started this shift. I thought, what an exciting time to work on those subjects. You know, because I knew, I knew it was going to be crazy. It was even crazier than I thought at the time, but it was crazy. And you know, I must say, I love disruption. I love when disruption happens. I think it's boring when you own the market, nothing is happening, doesn't make you very innovative. Uh, but when you're pushed to the limit, I mean, to the limit of your business, to your very existence, it really pushes you to be better and to be an innovator, which I think is key in this business, including in content where, you know, a lot of people see innovation in tech, in distribution, in commercial. Uh, but being innovative in content is, 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 to me, is the exact same thing. 
is that you have to push yourself and always look at the situation and say, well, are we doing, you know, every day I, work, I wake up and I say, ah, are we doing it right? I mean, you know, I'm not sure we're doing it. I'm, I'm not sure we're doing that right. Maybe we should do it dif differently on TikTok. Is this web series actually what we should be doing? Maybe we should do, we should be doing something else. And that's the attitude that really is, uh, is keeping me up. Um, and always passionate about the, the content is that how do you tell new stories? How, how, how I'm going to tell those great sports stories that made me a fan for life to my 12 year old kid that is consuming sports in a way that I never thought was possible. You know, mm. at, the, at our time, it was all about, you know, we were watching teams, being fan of teams, watching the entire games and so on. These days, you know, he loves basketball. He's, doesn't want to watch any game. He wants to watch highlights on YouTube and look at the sneakers the guys are wearing. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's a very different way of consuming sports, which is now, We're going to go back to that. We're going to go back a bit later on the way to consume sport and all the shifts in consumption. But as you say, since there's a shift in consumption, there's also a shift in the market and also players. Uh, Canal Plus having a lot of uh, competitors plus the international broadcasting platforms, also the OTTs. What does it mean when it comes to taking decisions for the rights? And of course, then I would guess your job is, once the rights are negotiated, your job is to enhance the potential of, it, of, it, of this content for your audiences. Well, that's a very broad topic, absolutely. Um, yeah, I mean, when you're a pay TV operator, you are always looking at improving your subscriber base. And um, and it's easy when you are in a not-so-competitive market. It becomes very tough when you are in a very competitive market. I mean, because you, you cannot bid on everything. So now you have to choose. What are you going to do? Uh, what is going to do a big with your business? Um, and I guess part of the thinking was uh, with the brilliant minds are running uh, things at the time was, I mean, do we need to own all the football, for example, or all the soccer for all the soccer for uh, American, uh, North American friends? Or do we need to have just the best part of soccer or football and then go somewhere else to find new subscribers like acquiring Formula One, for example? Um, you know, actually, when you think about it, when we acquired Formula One in 2013, wasn't considered a huge thing. You know, uh, Formula One was going a bit downhill, wasn't quite the same. We didn't have Alain Prost anymore. We were just after the Michael Schumacher era, um, and they were struggling a bit. But we acquired Formula One. We made a huge show around Formula One. Uh, we, we had like an hour, sometimes an hour and a half pre-race show, an hour and a half post-race show, all the FP1, FP2, FP3 live, even when it's in Australia or Japan at 2 o'clock in the morning in France, everything live, everybody on site, uh, millions in spent in production uh, to enhance the product. We did the same thing with MotoGP as well. Um, and you know, that was the huge shift for, for us, you know, really moving for being very, you know, football centric to being much more, you know, yeah, we'll still have football. We have the best of football, actually. We have Champions League, which is quite good, and then two games of League One and the, the Premier League as well. Uh, but we are also big on motorsports. We're big in golf. Uh, we are big in rugby, obviously, because we 
pretty much created the uh, the French uh, rugby uh, rugby union championship uh, along with the LNR. And uh, but we are also big on the CLGP, for example, uh, which is quite an interesting new competition. To me, one of the best creation of the past 10 years in sports. Um, and that's all. LGP. CLGP. Yeah, absolutely. And to me, it's all, it's, it's all part of having a portfolio where you can have the, the best subscriber, the larger subscriber base, largest as you can, um, and find the rights that will be where you're going to have the best ROI. Because sometimes mm-hmm. if, if you want to acquire all football, you're probably not going to have a good ROI on that. If we acquire, if you acquire just the, proper rights that you need in football, then you, yes, you can get an ROI on that. Hmm. You get it. Like a cutting-edge content that will make a difference compared to others. So Absolutely. tell us about the process because you're very creative and you're very innovative. We, we all know that in the market. Uh, so what is the process? When you get a property, what is your process to design the best content? And also, This question goes to, it's not easy to convince leadership to invest in some things that are not always tangible. Uh, Because when you speak about digital, you know, it's all about exploring and testing. Um, So great if you can let us know about the process to design the best content and how how do you decide to invest on what? Very good question. Um, To me, it's all about understanding the platform, the way they think, and then trying to match that with what are your strengths and what we are as a brand, as Canal Plus. And let me give you an example. In 2015, Facebook started investing heavily in the live feature. And that was right around the time that I was starting on the digital side at Canal Plus. And so, you know, I, I was looking at what Facebook was doing, and then I was looking at uh, what, everybody, what everybody else was doing. And at that time, it was a lot of, let's do a live with a phone, you know, on a couch somewhere, you know, behind the scenes stuff and so on. It was good. And I said, well, we are Canal Plus. Are we going to do that? And I was thinking, yeah, we have those huge studios. What about we take those broadcast facilities we bring more, you know, younger people, one of our younger uh, hosts and journalists, one of our younger experts, bring them along with some people that were working with pure players, you know, um, you know, social media company that were uh, doing sports and football. And we're going to do a show and we're going to do that on Facebook Live. So we did that. We had a huge success at that time because we were playing the algorithm. At the time, Facebook was promoting heavily anything live. But when you are promoted heavily and you have a product that doesn't quite look like all the other product, which is mostly people, you know, shooting themselves with phones, and suddenly they are seeing like a broadcast quality show. But with the digital storytelling, you're doing very well. Most people at Canal Plus thought I was probably a bit crazy when I started doing that. And then we went even bigger because I guess that was the year later in 2016. We had the Champions League final, but at that time we had only the free to air uh, Champions League final. And we were doing, obviously, we, 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 are, we are known for our pre and post game show, but obviously on, on our big free to air channel, there wasn't space on the programming schedule to have that big pre game show. And I told them, 
guys, let's do it on Facebook. And I remember the time when I was in the biggest control room, the biggest you know gallery at Canal Plus, with the biggest di- live sports director in France, with all the biggest set at Canal Plus, and we were doing a live on Facebook. And some people were looking at me like I was Crazy. something between a monster and <laughs> lunatic. Uh, <laughs> but we, we did very well. But the, the most important thing is not that success, is that, that after a few months doing that, when Facebook was not playing with the algorithm anymore, when other competitors started doing the same thing and so on, I said, guys, I'm sorry, but it's time to move on from that. We need to do something else. And now that was the guys from my team looking at me, I was like, I mean, we're doing good. I mean, why, why are we going to stop that and try and do something else? Yeah, because we need to be ahead of the curve. Because, uh, you know, we always say, if, not, if it's not broken, don't fix it. I don't believe in that. I think if you start Trying to fix something once it's broken, it's going to be very hard to fix. If you're trying to prevent it from being broken, it's going to be your life is going to be easier. Um, and so, yeah, I mean that's that's one of the, the the digital and social media stories that I can share is that when we did that live, actually it became you know suddenly we had newspaper talking about what we were doing. We had you know Facebook was sending presentation with what we were doing uh, with that show and, and so on. I mean, and yeah, I mean, that's part of the believing in your strength while playing the game of the platform as well. Yeah. Yeah. And when you mentioned that Facebook experience, we've seen last week that Channel 4 announced that they will have uh, some broadcasting on YouTube and they will sell themselves, which is the innovative part as well. So <laughs> you've done that quite some time before, maybe without the sell part, but quite some time before. All right. Uh, how do you, you know, content production and distribution is always a key challenge. And many people still figure out how to organize a team. Where do you put efforts? In what resources? Can you, t- can you share with us what your team is made of? What kind of skills uh, Yeah. yeah, I mean, that's a very good question. Something I think about at night and, and, and the weekends and during my vacation and all the time, because that's, uh, that, that, that's actually very, very tricky when you're in digital. Uh, you know, I used to work on the broadcast side. Well, I was mostly managing, you know, hosts and reporters and, you know, people with journalist background. I came into digital, I had one journalist. And then I had other people with other types of background, you know, marketing, communication, you know, digital. and If I had only journalists, would have been an issue because obviously most of the journalists either don't want, at least at the time, it's, it's, it's very different. But at that time, didn't really want to work on digital. People thought I was crazy when I moved to the digital side. Why are you going to do that? I mean, you're on the broadcast, you're on TV. Why do you want to go on Twitch and <laughs> Twitter and so on? I mean, it's you're on TV, man. <laughs> um, so, um, yeah, I mean, you... You need to have actually, it's, it's basically a team of Swiss knives. You know, um, people, you know, I have people with um, graphic design background. But when I have people from graphic design background, I need to teach them the editorial part, the journalist part, because obviously we are media. 
we we are doing editorial stuff and the the purely you know social media stuff how do you community management stuff how do you interact with your community how do you engage with your community and so on then if you if i hire somebody with a community management background i'm going to have to teach them the journalist side and the graphic design side and 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 so on so anytime we hire something new it takes forever because we're looking at profiles you know i could either find a reporter that I, that have a passion for after effects and is going to be a perfect fit for me because we need to do a lot of different stuff and you know uh, doing different formats in 9x16 4x4 with motion design and a lot of graphic layers and so on or i might find somebody who did a business school uh, and went on to work in marketing but has actually the the, the proper amount of social media experience to be good to to work with the twitch and tiktok algorithm and so on so uh, i mean we are at a point where I, I guess it was a bit like that when i started in journalism where at that time there were not a lot of journalism school and a lot of people working in journalism were coming from you know regular college on law school and so on and they were they were handing up uh, doing uh, being journalists and it's a bit like that in digital uh, so in my team I have people that have graphic designer background marketing background social media background business background um, journalist background even you know people like me who were basically hosting shows on TV and then went on to work on the digital side because I could offer them more freedom to work on pieces of content that you cannot do on TV where you have a lot of limitation in terms of what you can do. Yeah. And how do you keep the energy up in your team? Uh, this going to tips for the people working in that industry. Um, how do you organize it? So we understand the skills now. How do you organize the teams? Uh, are you, for example, implementing lean, lean management with every morning quick session? We create, we design, we solve the problems. What is your management style? Um, yeah, I mean, we do, uh, we have a, a weekly, actually COVID uh, helped us a lot. I think we are way better organized now than we were two years ago. You know, two years ago, we were pretty much organized like a regular, you know, editorial team where stuff were happening in our open space like magic every every day uh but it was very hard to have a meeting i had troubles doing a meeting every week at that time now i'm doing a, a week uh, uh, um, a daily meeting every morning that's because of covid we we implemented the the proper uh, uh workflow management i should say um and um yeah i mean mostly we need to be there when sports is happening that's the main thing for me it's very basic but sports is happening you know 24 7 pretty much so to me it's all about this is something that i've learned also uh on the digital side is that you need to make as much as you can when sports live sports is not happening that means you know usually like in december when there's no football or in august where everybody is enjoying the sun and the summer in the city, this is where you need to do the hard work. What are we going to do? What type of original content are we going to do? How are we going to do? How are we going to approach TikTok this year? What do we need to change on Twitch? 
you need to do the hard work on those times because, for example, now it's a, it's a total rush where you know we had the Champions League final, we had MotoGP last uh, last weekend. We also had a huge boxing uh, boxing match between Yoke and Bakole in, in, uh, in Yako Hotel Arena. Uh, had people doing lives on TikTok uh, on the on the boxing match, plus the people doing all the near live highlight clippings. We had the interactive timelines where we were offering our subscribers the ability to do the actual scorecard of the boxing match at home and compare that to the official judge uh, scorecard. Nice. Um, so we had that going. We had the expert mode on the MotoGP with 10 additional feeds, the near live highlights clippings and so on. We're working very hard on the Champions League finals. We're going to have the Monaco Grand Prix in two weeks. We have the Spanish Grand Prix before that. We launched a few uh, shows on Snap the past few weeks. So we have a, a F1 show. We have a, a football show around Champions League. Um, it's not the time to you know, spend a lot of time thinking about uh, content these days. It's all about executing. But if you want to execute properly, you really need to have all the hard work uh, done. Uh, when you have actually the time to do that, and it 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 may sound very basic, but that's uh, that's actually something where before I felt that we were we pretty much needed to do the hard work during those times, and then enjoy a bit of rest uh, during the down times, and that's actually pretty much the opposite. And that brings me back to I'm going to quote Pat Riley when he was running the Lakers. Everybody on its team was saying, I mean, well, I mean, those games are pretty hard. I mean, you're playing very hard. And they were all saying, the games are rather easy. It's the training that is very hard. <laughs> Practice is very hard. Those games are rather easy because we are practicing hard. And it's pretty much the same thing uh, in the business that I'm in. I mean, if you do the hard work during the downtimes, you are very good and very efficient when it's the rush. Yeah, that makes me think about a conversation I had with a coach who had more than 60 Olympic medalists in swimming um, at Texas University. And when we spoke about innovation and introducing uh, new uh, technologies or new solutions into training, he was mentioning me, look, the Olympic cycle is four years. On the first two years, I can manage testing things. After the end of the second year, I'm done. I know what's working, I know what's not working, and I stick to it, and it's all about training. And there's no miracle in medals. There's no miracle. It's We have a proper training, we know what we do, we know where we want to go, and we let it go. Makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. I mean... Uh... Yeah, and there was always, I mean, obviously, we are all sports fans here, and there are always a lot of stuff that we can learn from the top coaches in every sport uh, in terms of management, managing your resources, whether it's financial or human resources, uh, managing the creati creativity as well, because you need to manage that. It's not like you can do every project. It's not like every idea is a good one. But at the same time, I'm always telling my my team that, I could find a content not to my test, not good, but doesn't mean that I'm the boss. I should have the final cut. We need to have some sort of, you know, logic behind it. And, you know, I've pushed content that I actually didn't like, but I thought that it was the proper content strategy for that platform or for that type of demographic or for that type of goal that we were trying to achieve 
And even though I didn't like some of those stuff, I was pushing for it, including on the top management at Canal Plus, where I said, yes, we should do that. Do you find it good? Actually, if I'm being honest, no, I don't think it's good. I'm, I don't want to, I'm not going to be the consumer of that, but, actually, but I definitely think that from a strategy standpoint, this is what we should do. And to me, that's very important in content. And I'm going to quote, after quoting, I'm going to quote a lot of uh, bright people here. I was just quoting Pat Riley. I'm going to quote Steve Jobs. And I, I love that quote. Is that you, you don't hire smart people and tell them what, what to do. You hire smart people so they can they can tell you what to do. <laughs> That's actually a very good advice from a very wise man. Uh, and you know, if you believe in your team, I mean you hired those teams. Though I mean I hired out of the my team, I had 80% of them are people that I hired myself. And if you, you need to believe in them. And if they believe strongly that this is the proper choice in terms of content. Yeah, sometimes you might go for it. Yeah, sometimes, and at the end, sometimes you might be wrong and it ends up not bad. No problem. Keep moving, Keep going to the next. That makes me think um, there's a lot of shift in consumption, uh, spot consumption, live, non live, importance of non live, all the different formats, all the different platforms. As you mentioned, super hard to define where to go. Uh, you can't afford being everywhere at the same time, uh, I, I would guess. So how do you prioritize uh, where you want to be and how you want to be on a platform and with what kind of format? How, you do, how do you design that? I think it's a step-by-step thing. Um, and you really need to see uh, where actually, yeah, I mean, you're absolutely right. It's, it's all about the, the the amount of effort that you need to to make and the ROI that you have on that. And then, you know, for example, when you are going on YouTube, it's pretty much the same TV stuff that you're going to be using, except it's, you know, formatted highlights, near live clippings, uh, long-form highlights, or back catalog even. Um, to me, YouTube and Facebook today are the new free-to-air. Hmm. You know, it's pretty much, you know, older demographics, um, long-form format w- doing very well on those platforms. That's pretty much the new free-to-air to me. Um, so you have those type of platforms and then you have the newer platforms where you know it's going to be hard, you know it's going to be tough. Um, and um, uh, And... To me, it's all about going it progressively, um, doing it when you feel ready and when you feel that you have the proper type of content to go on live on the platform. For example, on Twitch, you know, we were asked to go on Twitch for many, for many years. And I was always thinking, yeah, what are we going to do on Twitch? We're going to do a, a live game, probably one of the worst game of our catalog, because obviously we're not going to do anything very premium on that, because it's free to air. Um, but uh, when Fo- Formula One was started to grow very quickly in the past few years, we had a host that was already uh, on Twitch. He had his own channel. We felt that it was the proper time to go on the platform and do a, uh, a live show on Twitch because. We were bringing something new. The first live that we did, we bring one of the most well-known Formula One streamer from Twitch. We put him in the show, and we also we also had Anna Prost in the show. On Twitch or on on Twitch, on yeah. Twitch. 
Okay. Suddenly, we had our main F1 host talking to Alain Prost with one of the best streamers on Twitch. Yep. They were not live from a huge broadcast studio. I actually I transformed my own office at Canal Plus in a Twitch studio because I didn't want to use any broadcast studio because I said, well, this is not what they do on Twitch. If we do that as a big media, we're going to get killed by the community. Let's do it like everybody is doing it on Twitch. Let's do a makeshift studio. Let's buy some gear. You know, actually, we were actually ordering stuff from Amazon to <laughs> to do the, the to do the, the the live Twitch studio and uh, and the community welcomed us because we were not the huge TV trying to you know make money on Twitch. We were just a new Twitch channel with interesting stuff. And that was part of the community because we were bringing people from the from that community. And I can tell you, when that one streamer suddenly realized that he was talking to Alain Prost on our live Twitch, the guy was like, oh my God, I'm talking to Alain Prost. And that was a very good moment. So the creative part is very interesting and funny, and you can see quick results in audience or not, but um, you see the results. What are the rest of the metrics you, you use in ROI? Uh, because at the end, you have to achieve uh, a business plan. Uh, Absolutely. So subscribers, subscribers, I would guess, and advertisements. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're absolutely right, and this is where sometimes uh, there's a lot of education to to be made, to uh, including you know internally. Because I mean, yeah, our, our basic goal is to get subscription, but people can think sometimes that let's go, you know, tell people on Facebook, go subscribe, and then tell people on Twitter, go subscribe with a link to subscribe, and then we're going to do well. I would love it to be as simple. It's not as simple as that. Um, and sometimes you really need to play a long game where it's not one step to subscribe. It's like 20 steps, 50 steps. It's going to take years sometimes. But uh, so you you can look at different metrics. Obviously, when you're on YouTube or Facebook, it's all about new ways of monetizing new types of content. We were telling about the new conception. Uh, obviously, when I started in digital, I had to convince people, either the rights owner, the governing bodies and so on, or the rights holders, including <laughs> people at Canal Plus, that we should do more near live highlights. And at the time, they were telling me, oh, God, it's, you're, you're going to cannibalize the live stuff. I mean, we cannot do that. It's very exclusive. It's so premium. Don't do that. Don't put Champions League goals on Facebook and Twitter and so on. Oh, my God. Are you crazy? Oftentimes, it wasn't even possible because in the contract, it wasn't part of the contract. Now, these days, we're talking about new packages that you're paying for that are part of the contract. We went from... It's not possible to, this is a new part of the contract that's actually an additional uh, revenue stream for many of the rights owners. It's good. I mean, that, I mean, that means that we all won that battle. It's, it's perfect. Um, but um, so when we are, we need to monetize that, obviously, because um, that's part of the, our business model as well, even though we are pay TV first. Uh, but obviously, when I go on, on TikTok, on Twitch, my main goal is not monetizing, not driving subscription at all costs. We are playing the long game here. It's all about talking to those younger demographics, making Canal Plus known from them, making the brand you know 
closer to them, making them understand that we're good. It's not something from the, the elderly people. <laughs> it's something that can be useful, good value, uh, with great content. We are very confident about the content. You know, actually, the, the younger demographics, we have a specific offer for the under 26 years old. They, they, they love that. It's, we have ratings with them in terms of uh, quality ratings, very high with them, even higher with the older demographics. So we know that when we get them to use our product, they love it. Um, uh, but the hard part is to make them use the product. And, but again, coming back to the link, sometimes I, even, I still need to explain, well, yeah, it's not, uh, we're not in a store where we're going to you know, be selling phones and we're going to see a consumer entering and we're going to give him the phone and say, hey, it's a good phone. It's, it's like a thousand bucks. Go buy it. And then we're going to shake hands and that's it. It's, it's, it's very complicated. We need to push content. We need to be original. We need to be better than the other ones. Um, and, you know, if it takes, you know, yeah, I mean, the, the I guess that you need to invest in your future consumer. I mean, uh, I guess that's the bottom line to me in, in those cases. Consumer. Two sentences I love. YouTube and Facebook as a new feature and you need to invest in the, in the future consumer. And that makes me think, could you imagine Canaplus one day without own its own platform, but just using so many platforms like Facebook, YouTube, and so on? No, I, I don't guess, think so. Yeah, yeah, because you have it. But I think yeah, actually, the media could create its own concepts and make them live across platforms. I mean, everything is possible. But actually, one of the greatest strengths of, uh, of Canal Plus is that we've built ourselves the MyCanal app, which is very unique in this business. In most cases, you hire the team of people, you know, external people or third-party vendors, and they're going to make you the app. My canal, everything is being done internally. All the devs, you know, Android, iOS, all the product design, everything is being done by teams at My Canal. Um, five years ago, when I was talking to people from the industry, they were looking at me like, "Guy, you're crazy. I mean, why do you do that? I mean, why do that? I mean, it's, you're not going to do well. And now the same people in the, in the industry are coming to me and say, yeah, I mean, now thinking about it, that was a pretty good idea because you, you, you really own the stuff to the point where we can even white label now the solution because it's, it's, it's good. It's well known in the business. Uh, it's very resilient, very reliant. Uh, and uh, we have an entire product that we control. Every bit of code in the MyCanal app, we own. Um, hmm. And this is something that is very unique uh, and that makes us very good at also, which is a huge part of our business these days, being very good at distributing the content from other editors. Obviously, Canal Plus is distributing the Orange uh, Cinema series channels, Disney Plus offering, even Netflix. Um, and, you know, for example, we're doing the expert mode. Uh, and uh, this is the enhanced way of watching sports on, on my canal with a lot of added features, multi-camera angle, uh, live statistics, interactive timeline, and so on. We can do that on sports we are not editing, but only but sports we are only distributing. 
which means like, for example, the Champions League, we have the two base game every week. All the other games are on Bean Sports. If you watch a game through the MyCanal app, even when it's a Bean game, you have the full MyCanal experience, which means near-live highlights, you know, live statistics, interactive timelines, and so on. So and you, mean you don't conform, I don't know if it's English, but you don't conform to what the right owner is giving you. You add a lot of value to the content by building your own features. Exactly. And we even do that when we don't have any rights. I mean, we are providing the expert mode even during the World Cup. We are can not I, doing can, any games. Can you explain the expert mode? Because yeah, the expert mode is basically, you know, if you have if you're on my canal, whether you're on iPhones, Android TV, smart TVs, Apple TVs, you know, anything, Fire Stick, you know, Xbox, PlayStation. Um when the when the game starts or the race starts, you have a an icon appearing on the screen that tells you you can activate the expert mode. And if you do that, then you have live statistics, near live highlights. We're in the process of automating all the near live highlights in all the sports, which means quicker highlights, more highlights with more metadata and so on. Uh, on football, we are doing a very cool stuff, which is how on League One games and Premier League games, we have the fantasy ratings from Montpetit Gazon, which is the most famous uh, uh, game, uh, fantasy game in, in, in France. Uh, so you have all the ratings from your uh, from the players playing the game right onto the expert mode. Uh, we have multi-camera angle. We have like 10 additional feeds on, on MotoGP for every races, even qualifying session and so on. Um, we provide, we, we actually did, uh, I know we talk about that. We, we did actually 55 additional feeds on the players championship, the biggest PGA tour tournament. We've been doing that for the past two years, which is, uh, when I, when I, when I tell people that we, we did that, they said, well, I mean, you added like 55 channels in the OTT app. I mean, how do you did, how do you do that? I mean, and how crazy are you to do that in golf, which is obviously not that big of a sport in France and say, well, We did that. That was my dream when I was working in golf. Now I did that when I'm on digital. And I know that the people who are subscribing to uh, Canal Plus that loves golf, I will make them remember that they got that experience from us. Um, and so we are able to do that, obviously, on channels that we own and operate, but we are able to do that on the channels that we are distributing, which is also very important because we are providing a better experience if the people are enjoying their content, even if it's not from us, on our platform, which is a huge strength in this business today. The, mm. the, the quality of the UX you can bring even when you don't own the content. So you're creating a lot of content, near live, near, well, live and non-live, a lot of non-live, a lot of features to get the the fans be experts in some ways, uh, become experts. Um, I would say the improving in the digital world, most of the time you need to embrace new technologies. And it is very challenging, uh, as you did your app, which is very challenging. And I suppose you had quite some nightmares about that. <laughs> uh, even today. <laughs> so uh, what are those technologies that were game changers for you in the last years? And then what other technologies that are not existing that you would say, this will help me a lot? Yeah, to me, it's all about, you know, all the 
cloud-based production and artificial intelligence uh, in, in the content industry. Um, and oftentimes they go uh, well together, um, which means that, you know, for example, the 55 additional feeds, it's, it's tricky to, to put that in, a, to, in an OTT app. But it's very Im impressive to produce those 55 different feeds. That means that you have 55 different, you know, live production going up at the same time. Can you imagine the challenge? I'm not handling that. I mean, that's the PGH doing that. I'm on the other side of the pipe, obviously, but they couldn't have done that five years before. Would have been too expensive and almost impossible to achieve. You need a zillion amount of OB trucks, EVS equipment, and so on. It's impossible to do. But with the help of AI, TrackMan, automated camera, cloud production, you can now these days you can have that those fifty-five additional feeds. And I'm pretty sure that what is today one uh, tournament experience will probably be something that we have on all tournaments, maybe by the end of the decade, probably. Because it's it's going very fast. And to me, I was talking about automated highlights. We started doing automated highlights on Champions League, and it's really a game changer because you know our, our rights allow us to produce a 10 minutes highlights for all the games that we are broadcasting. I mean, you, you've been in this business, you know that if you want to produce a good highlights, you're gonna put somebody, you're gonna hire somebody to do the highlights, it's gonna you know, pre-produce it during the game, then it's going to maybe take him like an hour, an hour and a half to finish the highlights to before he's, he's even uh, ready to publish it on the different uh, platforms and targets that we have. Now, these days, 90th minute, end of the game, 30 seconds later, I get my 10 minutes highlights. What a game changer. And yeah. I can use those resources to do better posts on social media, work on the 9 by 16 small format that we're going to need on TikTok. All those small stuff that we didn't have the resources to do it, to do before. Now, suddenly, the automated highlights allow us to have the time and resources to do as well. Hmm. It's not just about saving costs, which, which was probably too much the way it was presented at first. No, it's investing the resources elsewhere where it's more useful. Yeah, and that's what you push. But you could imagine that tomorrow the fans will push on a button to get the highlights they want. So absolutely, actually, a lot of companies. You know, I can talk to you about Sizzle, a great startup from San Francisco that is actually doing that. They started doing that in in esports, and now they are moving to traditional sports. Where yeah, basically you, it's a it's a it's a solution that is doing uh, highlight uh, clips from what the consumer wants. Uh, and yeah, I mean, that's the end game. You're absolutely right at some point. And it, it's even something that we are able to do now with the automated highlights is that what types of lengths are you going to do for your highlights? I mean, I can do 10 minutes highlights. That's the, that's the, that's the red line. I cannot go all the 10 minutes, but I could do five minutes. Maybe some of my consumer would love to do, to watch five minutes highlights. Maybe some of them might want 10 minutes. Maybe some others might want two minutes. With mm -hmm. automated highlights, you don't have to choose. You can produce a two-minute highlights, five-minute highlights, 10-minute highlights. And if you have the rights, maybe 25-minute highlights, 45-minute highlights, condensed game with all the action 
being packed into a shorter uh, length. That's the insane amount of possibilities with cloud-based production and uh, automated production. <laughs> Super interesting. What do you have in, in your pipe for this year, for these coming months? What is anything special that you say, ooh, this will be challenging. Let's see uh, how it Well, yeah, I mean, we're going to try and do a... Uh, uh, The, the Champions League final is going to be insane because obviously, as you know, it was supposed to be in Russia. It was brought back to Paris. They asked us to be the host broadcaster. So we're going to produce cool. the entire um, final for the entire world. Uh, and we're going to do it in 4K, HDR, Dolby Vision 8.4, Dolby Atmos quality which is mind-boggling. I'm not sure how many people in France will be able to enjoy it in that quality. I know I will, <laughs> so I'll be happy about it. Uh, and on top of that, we're going to provide you know, additional camera angles, you know, like the tactical fit, for example, which to me is very important when you are, when you, when you are used to playing FIFA, for example, and so on. You know, it's, it's the, the tactical angle is really something that you get used to by playing video games. And it's, uh, it's something that we're going to add in the expert mode. And the, the interactive timeline, I mean, it's something that we've been working on with, uh, with LiveLike. Uh, kudos to them to, uh, to, uh, for making this great product where it's going to allow us to, to add that level of interactivity that I really want to push forward in the next few months and years where it's less top to bottom. You know, TV used to be very top to bottom. We used to talk to the viewers and tell them what to think about the game, what we thought about the game. But these days, it needs to be reversed a bit. And the timeline allows you to do that. I mean, you could have like, let's say there's a penalty kick. You can have your announcer say on here, what do you think about that? What is worth a penalty or not? And then you can ask that on the timeline and then people who are watching the game at home, they can say, yeah, I don't think it was worth a penalty kick. And then in the post-game show, you can say, or even during the live game, but most likely in the post-game show, you can say, well, you know, 55% of our subscribers thought it wasn't worth a red card or a penalty in that case. That really adds a new layer of editorial possibilities, which I think is, is, is really, really terrific. And uh, brings you more, brings you closer to your uh, viewers and consumers, which I think is great because people now are used to uh, being very interactive with the content. This is their, the type of experience that they have on YouTube, on WhatsApp, on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram, on TikTok. And if you don't provide that on your own platform, you're going to have a tough time, in my opinion. Hmm. So Champions Thing is going to be a big highlight for you to showcase your traditional broadcasting capacities plus uh, showcase your... Yeah, absolutely. Because, I mean, you, you know the rules in France, it needs to be on free-to-air as well. So TF1 will also broadcast the finals on free-to-air. So you have two choices. Either you say, well, I mean, most people will watch it on free-to-air because it's free. I mean, why bother? Or you can say, you know what? We're going to... We're going to go for it and we're going cool. gonna to do everything to provide the best experience possible. Editorial, UX in the app, everything, quality of footage and so on and so on. Hmm. One last question before we go to our final questions. Yeah, a bit a small surprise for you. Um, so one, one, this last question would be, 
what about metaverse? You know, everyone is speaking about metaverse, launching metaverse. Um, honestly, sometimes we get lost in this. Uh, what is your, what does it mean to you and what does it mean for Canaplus? Is it something, but well, yeah, I will keep it simple. What, what does it mean to you and to Canaplus? To, to me, there's the potential of being the single biggest disruption ever in live sports, for sure. I mean, because if you look at it, very few things have changed in live sports since we had live sports. We went from black and white to color television, from 4 by 3 television to 16 by 9 television, from HD television to HD television. We went from, you know, terrestrial television to satellite television to now OTT distribution. It's pretty much the same thing. We're going to do the finals in 4K, HDR, and so on. Yeah, Pretty much the same thing. And the reason that we are still there was mostly because all of this time, we controlled the storytelling, we controlled the production, and the production didn't evolve that much, actually. Metaverse has the potential to really change everything. The way we storytell a game, we wear, uh, the way we enjoy the game, because suddenly you don't have regular you know, pre-game show, post-game show. You enjoy the game very differently. It's a mixed experience between being in the game and watching it on TV. You can maybe, you can maybe enjoy the game while being at the center uh, of the pitch or the football field. Um, all those crazy type of experiences uh, will be possible in the metaverse. So I think it can be a huge disruptor, specifically because I feel that the gaming industry has a huge advantage of their traditional uh, platforms uh, because they, I mean, they have metaverse already. I mean, Fortnite is a metaverse, for example. Um, uh, that being said, if it's using the metaverse to provide like a 2D experience, like broadcasting the games in 2D in a screen inside Fortnite, yeah, it's cool. That will not be a game changer. I think it will take years before we see the industry really shifting because it takes years to build those uh, those type of experiences. And we see that uh, I'm huge on the 3D uh, volumetric pixel, for example, which I think is a, is a game-changing tech. But the amount of uh, uh, computing uh, power that is needed to provide that type of experience is fully live is insane. So it's not ready yet. It's going to take probably a few years before it's ready. It's going to take probably a few years till we have the proper, you know, headsets or the AR technology that could help us with that. Um, so it's a, it's really a, a, something that is very interesting to see grow and to uh, uh, to spend time thinking about. Uh, but uh, it's going to be a game changer, but not in the next two years. I don't think so. Hmm. Do you really invest in uh, exploring what you can do or, or really doing things? No, so far we are investing in uh, in brain matter to uh, to look at what's happening in this uh, in this space and to uh, uh, to see where we could position ourselves. Where are the potential dangers also uh, for us um, and. Uh, you know the broadcasters or the the, the the live sports platform are rarely the the, the early adopters. We are usually coming when there is uh, an actual experience or business to be made. 
to be made. Um, so, uh, so yeah, I mean, so far it's all about, you know, trying to analyze it, see how it's going, what type of quick wins we could make maybe in a few years, keep the lines open with the right owner as well, uh, because it's also important, uh, telling them that I mean, if you want to explore that space, we are the good, uh, we are the proper partner. Um, but, um, yeah, I mean, it's a lot of, to me, I mean, at this stage, it's a lot of reading and exploring and doing workshops and so on and talking to people from the industry and asking them, what, what do you think? I mean, uh, I mean, what do you work on and uh, that type of stuff very, very early so far. Good. To conclude this theory, um, this session, uh, I know we could stay for hours. Uh, last time we spoke. <laughs> We had 15 minutes, I don't know, 15 or 30 minutes, and we spoke for a lot more. We could stay for hours, but we like to conclude with a few questions uh, that are inspired from Marcel Proust, uh, used from by Bernard Pivot and James Lipton. I don't know if you know that one. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's a bit adapted. Uh, so <laughs> there are some easy ones. There are some more tricky ones. So Ooh. it's... Quick question, quick answer with a bit of the why of the, of the answer. You ready? What is your favorite? Hopefully. <laughs> what is your favorite all-time athlete? Michael Jordan, by far. I mean, I've been, you know, I've, I've started watching the NBA in the late 80s. Uh, I mean, if you if you started watching the NBA in the late 80s, I mean, yeah, you could be a Magic Johnson fan or maybe a Larry Bird fan, but chances are you're going to be a big Michael Jordan fan. And, you know, I've watched every finals live on Canal Plus. That's terrific uh, memories for me. What is your favorite event? The Masters in golf. You know, the first time I went to the Masters when 2006. To me, it's, it's one of the most beautiful places in the entire world. To me, it's, it's the perfect sport event. Everything is perfect there. I've, I've, I've spent years telling those people running the tournament, whether on the TV side or on the, the actual tournament side. I mean, the, the job that you guys are doing is, is I mean, it's beyond uh, anything that I've seen anywhere else. It's um, the event is, uh, you know, I went back in 2019 because I helped the documentary uh, side of Canal Plus uh, do a golf documentary. So I went back after a few years not going there because I, now I'm working on digital, obviously. And the, the, the emotion that I felt going back there made me, you know, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a special event, special place. So definitely the Masters. I'm not being very quick at my answer. I'm sorry. <laughs> okay. What is your favorite word? Passion. Because I'm passionate about everything. Sometimes too much, but I'm, I'm not ashamed of being passionate, for sure. L'être de l'homme est dans l'action, uh, says Ego. Yes. Uh, what, is, what is your least favorite word? I would say status quo. I don't like status quo. I, I want to keep moving. I need, I need to keep moving forward. I know that sometimes I'm, exa I'm exhausting because of that. I, I'm, I'm not lie. I do not like standing still. What is the sport sound you like the most? The sound. I could say the 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 the, the noise of the net with the basketball, you know, falling uh, inside the net. But I, I will say probably a a drive, 
a driving golf. You know, I, I've spent, a, I was very, very lucky to be able to be there, you know, inside the ropes uh, on some of the most beautiful tournaments. Actually, you cannot do that at the Masters, but uh, I was, for example, I was there when Tiger won the US Open in 08 with the broken leg and so on. And when you're there, you're standing like, you know, two meters from the action. You know, you're, you're there with, with Tiger. And when you, when you hear that sound, I mean, this is not the sound that I'm making when I'm eating a driver, for sure. <laughs> and that's probably what you want to transmit to your fans on Canal Plus. Um, what is a sport song you hate? Very good question. Tough one. Um... I would say, you know, the crowd booing or anything like that. It's something that makes me very uncomfortable. I think those guys are dedicating their lives to their sports, to their craft. Nobody should be booed in a, in a sports field, ever. Now, what is your favorite curse word? Uh, in French or in, because uh, <laughs> obviously I curse more in French than in English, but it's, I'm going to be very basic. You know, it's putain. Fuck. <laughs> what profession other than your own would you like to attend? I would have loved to be like a professional basketball player or a professional golf player, but I'm, I'm, you know, I've tried to play basketball again with my kid like two weeks ago. I played with the other. The worst idea ever doing like a parent kid game took me like uh, two weeks to recover. Uh, so I'm definitely on the right side of where I should be, but uh, obviously, you know, being inside the ropes, specifically in golf, I think it's it's terrific when you. I mean, you know, when I was there with Tiger, with like thirty thousand people, you know, around the green on eight on the eighteenth hole, seventy second hole of the tournament, and you're putting for the win. That's something that should be, you know, that's something. Uh, I tried that many times and I failed many times as a consequence. <laughs> I tried to yeah. imagine how it would be. And <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. What profession would you not like to do? <laughs> Professional golf player sometimes. You know, because, um, you know uh, I was lucky enough again to, I was invited uh, one day to play uh, the courses of the British Open and the Ryder Cup the year of the event in 2014. So I played the Royal Liverpool with all the, you know, the stands already being built. So I was standing on the, standing on the first tee and I had Gary Player and Paul McGinley, two legends of the game, like watching me and I had the official British Open announcer announcing my name, you know, here on the first tee, Sebastian Odu. And I was shaking so hard, you couldn't <laughs> believe that. And obviously, what did I do? Air shot, obviously, and Gary Player <laughs> came running towards me and hugged me, and that was a, a, actually a noble and beautiful moment at the same time. So, um, yeah, uh, same profession, I guess. I think I'm on the right side of what I should be doing. Professional athlete is very hard. I mean, people from outside cannot believe the amount of sacrifice and work those guys are putting in their craft. So, kudos yeah. to them. What it means to them to be successful. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. If you had one more hour every day, what would you do? Read more. Read more, for sure. Good. 
Last question, but not the least. If heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? Finally, we've been waiting for you for a long time because <laughs> that would mean that I would live long enough to do more things in life, which is uh, something that I enjoy so much. <laughs> Good. Thank you so much, Sebastian. Thank you for your time. Uh, thank you for sharing your experience. Uh, we would love to know more about what happens with the Champions League final. But yeah, thank you again. Thank you all for listening to a new SIS Masters podcast. We'd love you to subscribe. Please leave a review or rate the podcast. It will help us improve. We'd love to see you in the next episode. Enjoy. Enjoy.